The Ramban did it again. Who doesn't want health tips from God? Even more so, health tips from his servants, the sages. And these health tips can transform your life, can transform your marriage. If a person is loves his wife, she loves her with all of his heart, but he simply can't perform. He has uh, different types of issues. There's an answer for that. There's a solution for that. We're going to learn about it today. If the marriage has hit a stalemate, there's an answer for that. There's a solution for that. We're going to learn about that today. If a person wants to simply become healthier, happier, physically and otherwise, there's an answer for that. There's a solution for it. We're going to learn it today. Health tips from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and His holy sages is available by simply staying tuned, watching, and after you enjoy it, don't be selfish. Share and be holy. We are uh, back here on our Tuesday night um, lecture in regards to Jewish intimacy, the holiness of Jewish intimacy, uh, how we've discovered over the last uh, almost 20 lectures how it's a world of difference between Jewish intimacy that's in accordance to the Torah and the teachings of the sages versus the uh, sexuality and pornography and filth that's in the world today, unfortunately. And uh, tonight's show is going to be for the Refuah Shlema, for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sara, uh, also for uh, Rabbanit Sara Bat Anat, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Avi Mori David Ben Nesriya, Imi Morati Doris Bat Jora, and all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahides uh, that continue to watch our uh, lectures, whether it's on TikTok or on uh, Facebook or on the uh, Bezat Hashem app, and also you could watch on our website, you could watch uh, the live, uh, just go to bh.live and you could watch all the lectures live. Bezat Hashem, we're working on a, uh, uh, something that perhaps in the next several months will have the ability to uh, look at all of the comments in a single place, which will make it easy to uh, uh, take the comments and the questions that everybody has from different places. Uh, tonight, we're going to focus on the lecture first. If there's time, we'll take some questions. Uh, we're going to try to keep it only focused on the lecture itself, meaning on the subject at hand. Uh, so if anybody has uh, questions that are not relevant to what we spoke about, we're not going to address it. We're going to address some other things. Uh, but either way, the key is to uh, focus on this particular issue uh, and not uh, go into a different direction, especially since this is something that's very, very relevant to people's lives uh, and certainly can help them. Now, so far, over the last several months since we started this series of Jewish intimacy, we've discovered that uh, for a person to produce holy children, for a person to produce good children, you know, children that are, you know, smart, generous, have good character traits, uh, beautiful, it's not just simply the uh, luck of the draw or the sperm count or what kind of egg is there. There's a whole lot more to that calculation, and it all has to do with the preparation that a person has. And of course, anyone that wants to know the details has to go back to those lectures. But the key is to understand is that intimacy in itself is not only for the sake uh, of producing children. Certainly, uh, intimacy is one of the things that the uh, husband obligates himself to do uh, in order to, uh, to be with the wife. Uh, when they're signing the ketubah, when you sign a, you have a Jewish marriage, you have to... Uh, uh, sign a contract uh, as part of the marriage so ceremony. This is a biblical contract. This is according to the Torah itself. 
and uh, this uh, ketubah obligates the husband to three things. Number one, he's obligated to provide for her. Two, he's pro you know, provide for her clothing, food. Uh, and the uh, third thing is he has to also uh, provide intimacy, uh, conjugal rights to the wife, meaning that the husband is the one that's obligated, not the wife. Showing that the uh, Holy Torah was uh, way ahead of the, uh, you know, the, the feminist mentality, uh, but only in a kosher way, in a holy way, uh, and not in a liberal, anti-God way that uh, they do it today. Uh, but uh, certainly there is a uh, special treatment for, uh, for all people, for all Jews, for all non-Jews. Everyone has a certain type of special treatment, and the woman <coughs> is no exception. In fact, the woman, I would say, has some of the most favorable terms, uh, in fact, in the world of Judaism, if she complies with the Torah. If a woman doesn't comply with the Torah, then she obviously loses her rights, just like you would lose your rights to your, uh, the country that you live in if you violate the laws of that country. Uh, just like you would lose your employment if you violate the laws of the, country, of the uh, company that you work for, and so on and so forth. Same concept when you violate the laws of God. If a woman, if a woman doesn't want to act modest or look modest or, you know, or be modest altogether, she obviously loses those rights. The same concept with men. If men uh, don't want to be modest, they don't want to uh, uh, protect themselves as far as protecting their eyes and not looking at things that are inappropriate, uh, if they don't want to stop being promiscuous and watch pornography, if they simply want to live like animals, like unfortunately many people in society, they also lose their rights. And by losing their rights, I mean not just the rights and privileges that Hashem gives them, but also the blessings. So one of the greatest blessings that a person can get in their life is a great child a child that respects them with a boy or girl is irrelevant you know a child that respects them a child that actually honors them that's something that obviously is something everyone wants and even that's normal at least uh but even more than that because at some point the children go away they you know they develop their own lives they built their own lives and that's really when the marriage uh is uh, is going to be put up to the next level of tests because if the marriage was healthy throughout the time that you are raising your kids, then the marriage will only get better in time. If the marriage was unhealthy, then many times the marriage ends after the kids grow up. Many times, unfortunately, ends even before. But the point being is, is that the greatest blessing that a person can get is a healthy marriage. So when a, when a Jew signs that ketubah, what they're supposed to have in their mind is that this is a not just a commitment forever, but it's a responsibility forever. And unlike some of the uh, uh, corrupt mentalities out there, whether it's a corrupt mentalities because they watch too many horror films or uh, other types of movies or just simply they're clueless where they think that this uh, marriage is like a prison where, uh, oh, just because you got married, you have to stay married even if there is abuse, even if you don't want to. So, of course... You know, the Torah protects both men and women from such things, but the key is to Im improve the marriage over time. And a significant part, uh, uh, a significant contributor to marriage is intimacy. Now, even though we've already discussed how frequent intimacy is supposed to be, whether it's for a uh, traditional person or it's for a Torah scholar or if it's someone that travels, depending on the profession, we've discussed all of this. Tonight, we're going to obviously... Uh, discuss certain things that have to do with not necessarily the intimacy itself, but rather things that contribute to the intimacy and to the life of each and every single person. 
as far as the quality of life, as far as the health of that life, uh, according to the sages. In so many words, you're going to get health tips that will affect your sensuality according to the Torah and the holy sages that taught it. This is something that uh, we haven't discussed in the past, at least not extensively, but this is the direction that the Ramban is going uh, now, where he started last week, or the last time we had the uh, lecture, by uh, telling us, now that you have uh, awakened uh, to the awareness of this matter, meaning all of the spiritual preparation that's required in order to have holy intimacy, which as anyone that has watched the first 18 lectures knows that holy intimacy by default is a million and a half times better, even in theory, even if you haven't achieved it per se, but just literally thinking about what it could be is already better than any type of intimacy that's available out there, regardless of who and when. So a person that has been awakened to this holiness, to this you know extraordinary uh, uh, ability that we have in our hands, that we were gifted from God to have holy type of intimacy that produces holy fruits not just holy children and extraordinary children but also an extraordinary marriage a holy marriage and in fact the most critical is an elevation of our soul to the highest possible level that a person can get it through the actual intimate act unlike what the idolaters think which is that intimacy is disgusting uh it's frowned upon or it's uh, some of the uh the other uh uh, Semites, but unfortunately heretics in Islam, which view intimacy as something that's relatively disgusting and uh, really more of an animalistic uh, uh, type of uh, uh, thing. Uh, here in Judaism, Baruch Hashem, we view intimacy as something that can actually elevate a person to the highest level of holiness that you can possibly get to. Uh, but of course, it requires certain steps. Those steps are during the first 18 lectures. And that's what the Ramban is talking about now he says we shall say that the time of union that needs to be clarified is can be divided into three phases the first phase is the time of the season of the day which is what we discussed already in essence the time of the day the day of the week ideally being shabbat but even if it's not shabbat it should be late at night in the middle of the night after midnight uh, this is the ideal time. The second is the time of union in terms of food. Why food? Is This is what we're going to go into tonight. Food is in essence not just food per se, but also health itself. And the third part is the time of union in terms of hours. Now, so we're going to get into the second part. Health tips from the Torah and its sages in regards to elevating your sensual life your intimate life your marriage and in so many words your quality of life and that's what the ramban is going to get into now and he says the following the second part which you need to know with hashem's help is the time from the point of view of food you should know that the food that nourishes a person has to be refined in three ways and then the third stage, it's converted to either seed or white blood cells, which nourishes the body. If a man has his marital union close to the time that he ate, at that time, the nature of his body is boiling and the blood is turbid and not clear. And therefore, the drop of semen that is drawn 
is spoiled, ugly, fetid, and filthy. It's neither clean nor clear. And therefore the child that's born from that drop is established upon a foundation that is turbid and filthy. And regarding him, the Torah writes in the book of Psalms, chapter 7, verse 15, he has conceived mischief and brings forth falsehood. As well as Psalm 58, 4, the wicked are estranged already from the womb. From that drop of semen which is not refined is bound by its nature to be filthy and disgusting. And therefore the man should arrange that the time of union be a time when his spirit is settled and the organs of his body have cooled from the heat of the food which he ate. The blood has been purified, the leaves have gone down to their natural place, and the elements of the body have settled to their proper order. This time is close to the latter half of the night. Obviously, we're going to explain every single word that we can. What does all of this actually mean in English? Now, first and foremost, when a person is clever and has spent enough time learning, whether it's reading books, watching lectures, combination thereof, one thing that they will know is that not all teachers are the same. You can't just listen to anyone that has a microphone. You have to know who you're learning from. So the Chida, one of the great sages that lived just a couple of hundred years ago, writes about the Ramban, Nachmanides, that lived approximately 750 years ago. That the Ramban, in addition, in addition to being a Torah commentator, unlike any other, in addition to writing an endless amount of books covering the, every topic in the Torah, from the basics of Alacha to Rosh Hashanah, to Geinom, to heaven, to uh, uh, literally every aspect of the Torah, the Talmud. He was a Talmudic commentator, a posek. But in addition to all of this, he was also a Kabbalist, which we discussed last time, as well as a doctor and a medical expert. And that's also what the Rashba writes about the Ramban, that he was a medical expert. And therefore, when the Ramban is now going into the direction of telling us some health tips about what to eat and when to eat it in relation to when we're intimate, this is certainly something we need to pay attention to. Because what he's saying here is that it has a heavy consequence on the outcome. What you eat will produce a certain type of seed. What, what you feed your husband will produce a certain type of seed. That seed will produce a certain type of baby, which you'll have to live with. And I promise you, you don't want to live with a baby that is not as good as it can be if you have the choice otherwise. Now, the Gemara says, the hour of eating is the hour of war and there are multiple reasons that the sages discuss back and forth of why is the hour of eating which most people view as pleasant most people view as festive yet usually this is the, what people do when they meet this is usually what people do when they celebrate but the torah says yes you're right but you should also know that when you're actually eating not the meal itself where you're sitting and you're talking with people and, and exchanging ideas no not that time 
when you're actually eating that's a time of war why is it a time of war first and foremost you should know if you're not careful the angel of death can be given the permission to simply kill you that's simple that's a given now of course many people say oh that doesn't happen very often okay check the statistics it's a little more often than you think furthermore the outcome of what you eat has a lot more consequence than simply you know adding calories adding a few pounds or kilos to your diet to your body there's a lot more to it and the sages say the hour of eating is the hour of war where we're fighting the evil inclination we're fighting all types of things that could take that eating to a place that it shouldn't be the Chazoni says that the Ramban is now teaching us different aspects of health similar to how the Rambam Maimonides drew many drawings of different things that have to do with astrology or even uh, agriculture he had many different drawings now of course when the Rambam learned some of this stuff he learned some of the things from the agriculturists and the astrologers of the day or the previous generations so when he was reading some of these books in Arabic they were just simply secular books you could read them in the bathroom if you want but the moment that he put those things those teachings into his holy Torah teachings they became Torah those drawings became Torah which means that if somebody including the Rambam himself wanted to dispose those drawings for whatever reason got ripped got destroyed it's old something better came out whatever it is they actually had to be put in the same place as where you would put an old Sefer Torah which is called the Gniza the Gniza doesn't dispose holy books into the garbage but rather puts them in a uh, a place where then somebody else collects them and then they bury it just like you would bury a body because they deserve respect so the drawings of the Rambam of astrology became holy just like the health teachings of the Ramban have become holy by being included in this Igerat Ramban and his other works and of course everyone is familiar with the with the Maimonides extensive writing about health many things that he wrote are still very much relevant and are used in health today some are not necessarily as effective on people as others but needless to say everyone knows that when they read it they're reading real wisdom so here we're we're seeing that the Rambam is the Ramban is taking a different direction than we could ever think when we first started the series where he's telling us okay we've discussed the spiritual aspect of it now we have to discuss the physical health aspect of it which also connects to the spiritual it always connects to the spiritual but here we're seeing that in this Jewish intimacy there's more discussion about the Jewish part than the intimacy part even though it all ends up in the same place the sages wanted to make sure that every single aspect of the Torah that can be taught is taught that we're not missing anything that will affect our day-to-day life and therefore in the Ramban is telling us that this marital union has a specific time and the food that you eat will affect it 
you have to first and foremost realize that this is not just simple teachings this is very precise and anyone that has studied science or, or other, or other uh, parts of health knows that everything that we're going to be saying and have said already is 100 percent factual so first he's telling you that yes food is necessary and this food is going to nourish your body and this food whatever you eat has been instructed by its creator the god of israel to go through a refinement process and this refinement process is several stages and the last stage is when some of this food will turn actually into either white blood cells or the actual seed meaning that the the pot the most potent part of blood is the seed of course some of it turns into different proteins some of it turns into other parts of the body much of it is excreted and then when a person defecates or, or otherwise uh but there is a certain part of it that is going to nourish the body and also allow the body to reproduce to regenerate to do things that we don't necessarily think too much about but nonetheless this is one of the main purposes of food itself now when it comes to how this affects the person's intimacy the Ramban says don't eat before you are intimate because when you are when you eat there's this refinement process so imagine that there's a factory in your body which in reality there's the most sophisticated factory in the world inside your body just study your digestive system and therefore this factory is boiling the blood boiling there's a lot going on inside the person's body and because all of this is actually happening inside whatever seed the person has already in their body becomes unclear becomes turbid so it's not just the seed that will be produced as a result which can take hours but it's whatever is there is going through that system and therefore that seed that a person has while they're actually digesting while they're ingesting and digesting whatever seed that's in their body is spoiled is ugly is filthy it's neither clear nor clean and if a person ignores this advice from the sages they'll live to witness the results if a child comes from that reproduction because the child that's born to such a thing David Melech gave us some uh, uh, hints towards this the child's personality intellect and sometimes even looks will be damaged not damaged like they'll be missing limbs or blind but will be damaged from what they could have been what is the potential that is within you already you have a certain potential let's say from zero is the worst a hundred is the best you have the potential to bring a child that's level a hundred now if you follow the instructions of the Ramban and the sages to the highest path to the best of your abilities you're simply are you know 
full proof. You're holy. You've done tshuva. You're, you're sanctifying yourself. You've done so much. Literally, you can't even think anything else other than holiness. Then you can literally produce a physically and spiritually beautiful child that's the highest level. On the other hand, if a person doesn't, they do just part of it, then they'll get, let's say, the level 60 or 70 or 80. But if a person completely ignores it, then although their potential is to produce a level 100 baby, a level 100 child, they'll produce a level 30 or a 40. And again, these are all hypothetical examples, but just to get the point across, which is in essence what the Ramban is saying. By him saying that this is the seed is filthy, is turbid, it's going to produce something like that, that means that the, there's going to be certain, whether it be spiritual or physical, defects not defects as in missing limbs but defects in comparison to what could have been and therefore David Melech says he has conceived mischief and brings forth falsehood meaning that a person that has just reproduced has reproduced a witness to their lack of care to the Torah and its sages has produced something that in essence is the opposite of what the Torah teaches it's produced falsehood has produced someone wicked already in the womb why because of the acts of the parents now So the Ramban says, for a drop of, of semen, which is not refined, is bound by its nature to be filthy and disgusting. So if a person completely ignores or doesn't know, is unaware of any of these teachings, which the majority of people were not until they watched this series or read the book by the Ramban, then their default, without elevating their soul, was a filthy and disgusting seed. That was the default. You had a way up from there, which is the goal of this entire series. Now, the Gemara in Masechet Brachot talks about when is a person supposed to eat. Person is supposed to eat around the time where the poor man eats his dinner when is the poor man eats his dinner the Gemara asks the poor man eats his dinner back in those days about a half hour or so before sundown why because he's poor and therefore he cannot afford candles today obviously this is not relevant the candle part he cannot afford candles so he doesn't want to eat in darkness so he eats about a half hour before sundown and that's when we pray Minchai Narvit so the Ramban says a person should arrange the time of union their intimacy to be a time where a spirit is settled the organs of the body have cooled from the heat of the food which he ate the blood has cooled it's been purified everything has gone back to its natural place and the elements of the body are in proper order and this time is closer to the latter half of the night what's the latter half of the night 
it agrees with the spiritual part that we talked about which is after midnight meaning that if he if let's say sundown is at 6 p.m let's just call that the average for the year sometimes certainly it's beforehand sometimes it's later on especially with the silly uh you know uh bringing the hours forward and backwards throughout the whole uh year uh you know the daylight savings time which wastes a lot of time needless to say this agrees with this 24-hour system where you say okay if sundown on the average is let's say 6 p.m and a person eats their dinner around that time intimacy should be after midnight you're talking about six hours or so have passed of course even if you know the person ate at seven and they're intimate after midnight it's it's fine but if a person ate at 10 o'clock and then being uh, intimate at 10 30 or 11 already were are obviously were going against everything that's been taught both on a spiritual end and the physical end and on the physical end the consequences are very dear simply because whatever they produce is going to be considered disgusting not just spiritually disgusting but physically disgusting this is the same reason why the Gemara teaches that a person should not be intimate if they have to defecate because the uh, the body is in essence filthy during a time where a person has to defecate and they should never do it during that time they have to relieve themselves because whatever they're producing whether seed or egg whatever is there is not in a uh, good physical state they have to relieve themselves let the uh, body calm down enough time as the Gemara in Masechet Kidin, page 70 says enough time for a person to run a half a mile so figure let's say about 10 minutes or so seven minutes depending I mean if you don't consider if you're a sprinter then you know running a mile in seven minutes or six minutes and then therefore you have to only wait three minutes don't do that average human being runs uh, uh, or walks four miles per hour so do the math point being is is that a uh, a person that has to defecate should not be intimate the person that just ate should not be intimate both of these uh, uh, states put the uh, whatever the body produces in a uh, in not such a, ba- a good way now of course the mentality of today is that if a couple gets into a fight or if somebody's stressed out or if uh, somebody is a uh, very uh, very upset very angry then the way to relieve themselves is intimacy don't do this don't be intimate with your spouse to relieve yourself from your anxiety your anger or the makeup from the fight that's not going to produce any level of holiness needless to say it's not going to produce anything that's physically good the goal is to do what you want to do but do it in a way that Hashem says is beneficial for you for much longer than just a simple act the Midrash says that Hillel Azakin, Hillel was the elder, was the Nasi of Am Israel. The great sage Hillel would walk around, the Midrash says, saying, I've done kindness to my body. I've done kindness to my body. Every day he would say to people, I've done kindness to my body. Chesed, Legufi, I've done kindness to my body. So 
The students asked him, Kvodarav, what, do you, what kind of kindness did you do to your body? What, did you carry something? Did you exercise? Did you run somewhere? What did you do? He says, I bathed. Because I bathe today and every day, that's kindness to my body. It's not kindness to my body because I am now not itching anymore. No, it's kindness to my body because the sages told us that we should work on our midat uh, uh, the uh, the trait of cleanliness. Cleanliness in actions, cleanliness in appearance, cleanliness in your body has to be clean. Clean across the board, both spiritually and physically. And this is physically beneficial for my body. To take a shower every day, to bathe, is, is physically beneficial. So I'm not doing it because I smell better. I'm doing it because that's the instructions of the sages. And that's what gives me also, in addition to the physical benefit, it gives me the spiritual benefit because now it becomes a mitzvah. Now, if a person is going to eat only because the food is free or someone just gave him food, at best, the only thing they'll gain out of it is a physical benefit. But if a person eats with the mindset that I need to eat in order for me to have the energy and the strength to learn more Torah, to do more mitzvah, to do more kindness in the world, then that eating in itself becomes an act of servitude to Hashem. If a person is going to be intimate, simply to relieve anxiety, forget about some type of anger, or whatever other excuse society has trained you to have, then at best bet, they'll have a momentary, literally a momentary physical relief with a very long downward spiral from there. Just like the uh, sexaholics report they have and the drug addicts report they have and the alcoholics uh, report they have, meaning that a person that acts like some other addict, whether it be a uh, sexaholic, alcoholic, drug addict, or whatever other addicts, addictions there are out there, gets the same results, where there is a spike in physical reaction that gives you the illusion that this is happiness with a much longer downward spiral that makes you regret that you were even born and in the case of intimacy regret that you're even in the same bed as this other person so when a person only acts based on the physicality the benefits are minimal this is the reason why even the most beautiful people eventually become repulsed by each other and divorce each other and mock each other how could it be? She's the most beautiful. He's the most beautiful. Everybody's the most beautiful. How could you leave her and cheat on her with this, you know, person that looks like a, you know, maybe a, a Gilgul of, of, of one of our problems, but not like her. How could it be? Oh, because again, it's when everything becomes physical, eventually a person becomes disgusted by it. Just like as if you, if you ate your favorite food, but only your favorite food, three times a day, every single day, for a year straight by the end of a month you're never going to want to eat that food again 
And if you were force-fed for that entire year that favorite food, that favorite food will create some type of trauma in your life that you're not even going to want to mention the name of that food. So when a person treats their intimacy like it's some type of drug where it's supposed to just give you some type of physical relief, this is the reason why psychiatrists and all types of other psychopaths in the secular world tell you, listen, if you are upset, if you have anxiety, if you are stressed out, just relieve, go to the bathroom and relieve yourself, relieve yourself, and it's going to create a better, uh, you know, you're going to be relaxed. The opposite is true. The opposite is true, the, uh, as I've discussed in my film, uh, the Tikkun Abrit, and we brought different uh, medical experts and scientists that literally medical research that proves the opposite is true. The different dopamines and other hormones that are uh, produced by the body as a result of wasting scenes literally ruins the body, ruins the brain. But the advice is continuously given to people. So when a person wants to eliminate these risks, eliminate this downward spiral, especially if they want to have a healthy long-term marriage, they have to start thinking of their intimacy as something a little bit more than just a physical relief. Even more so, they have to think of their intimacy a little bit more than just simply to produce babies because you're not going to be able to do it forever. At some point, people age out. What are you going to do, leave each other at at a time that's most uh, critical in your life? And who says you're going to find somebody else anyway? So the point is, is that a person that looks at intimacy purely as something physical for physical relief in that capacity is only have a, uh, you know, a downside ahead of them. So the Chachamim teach us that, yes, we're not telling you not to enjoy yourself, whether it be from food or intimacy or it be from anything else, you're allowed to enjoy yourself, but have a bigger purpose for it also. Rabbi Elimelech Milizhinsk, which uh, I believe tonight is his yard site. He was one of the great sages from Hasidut. He was the uh, Talmud of the Magid Mimezrich, who was one of, is the main Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov. So Rabbi Elimelech Milizhinsk said, why is it that out of all of the things that we do, the Gemara in Masechet Brachot tells us that anything you benefit from in this world, you must thank God for it. You want to eat? Before you eat, thank God for it. After you complete eating, thank God for it again. You have to get, you know, do blessings. Want to get married? You have to do a blessing. You get an aliyah to the Torah, you want to learn Torah, you have to do a blessing. Wake up in the morning, do a blessing. Go to the bathroom, do a blessing. All the different things that you do in life, you have to do blessings to thank God. And if anyone that benefited from this world without blessing God is considered a thief. He stole from God. She stole from God. So Rabbi Elimelech Medizhinsk says, so why is it that we're obligated to say so many blessings and so many things except for intimacy? There's no blessing for intimacy. You don't do a blessing. You're not allowed to do a blessing. There's no blessing made by the sages. Even though it's a very holy act, or it can be. Why? He says, because all of the other things that are in your life, eating, drinking, uh, you know, praying, waking up, your life altogether, all of it can be done 100% for the sake of heaven, meaning 100% as a way for you to serve Hashem. You could eat, if you elevate yourself to the point, you could eat only for the sake of 
Hashem, meaning that you want to live so you can do more mitzvot and you can learn more Torah and do more good things. Drink, same thing. Work, literally. You're donating as much as you possibly can in order to publicize the Torah. So you're working, sure, to live, to pay rent, to pay mortgage, but whatever extra, you're not looking to save some uh, extra account for a rainy day or for retirement. You're looking to do as much as you can with Hashem's blessings today, and you're investing it into the Torah today. So a person can literally elevate every one of their actions to the point where it's 100% for the sake of heaven, except their intimacy. The intimacy cannot be 100% for the sake of heaven. A part of it must come from lust. It must come from desire. Why? Because if there's no desire, it's not possible for the man to do it. Physically, it's not possible for the man to do it. Meaning that even the greatest sages, the holiest sages, the holiest forefathers we have, everyone has to have a certain level of physical desire and in essence physical joy from the act of intimacy so therefore we're not saying don't have joy don't have pleasure certainly do it you know and enjoy it and that's actually which this is one of the ways you can enjoy it much much more than you could possibly even imagine but don't just do it just like just for that just for the physical benefit because then there's no difference between you and a horse there's no difference between you and a cow there's no difference between you and some rhinoceros there's no difference because they also do it simply for the for the uh, uh for the physical aspect of it so what elevates us as human beings is not our ability to speak but rather our ability to serve a kadosh baruch Hu. through every single one of our actions including our speech and including even if we can't speak we can still serve hashem in multiple ways that the animals can't including controlling ourselves during these moments and elevating the physical to something be more than just physical so the ramban says you can enjoy it at a specific time a specific way and that restraint that control that you are not going to do it right after you eat you're not going to do it at six o'clock in the afternoon you're going to wait for a certain time you're going to eat for a certain amount of way that in itself already elevates the intimacy to something else and that in itself will elevate the physical aspect of it where you're going to allow your body to do certain things that perhaps you won't realize the benefit until your kids come out or until you see other people's kids now there's a Gemara in Masechet Gitin that gives a bunch of health tips health tips that from the sages one after another we're not going to go through all of them but literally we see that the holy Jewish sages didn't just want us to turn into robots just pray here learn here and you know live die reproduce no they wanted us to obviously have a certain quality of life and because this affects your life whether it be intimacy or your diet or different health things that they discuss 
then this can become part of the Torah that's taught. Now, if you simply write a health book because of scientific research, medicinal research, your own intuition, whatever it is, there's nothing Torah about it. But if a person connects things to the Torah, it literally can become part of the Torah. And that's in essence what's happening here. The sages say that in the name of Eliyahu Navi, Elijah the prophet, he taught one of the sages named Rabbi Natan, eat one-third of your stomach's capacity, drink one-third of your stomach's capacity, and leave one-third of your stomach unfilled. Meaning, don't eat until the food's coming out of your nose. Don't drink until it's coming out of your ears. Eat, but not to your fullest capacity. Why? It's healthier for you. In fact, it's so healthy for you that it's not just for diet purposes, but also spiritual purposes. How so? It says, if a person gets angry, it's obviously bad spiritually. The Gemara in Masechet Masechet, uh, Shabbat says a person that expresses their anger in a physical way by breaking something, throwing something, he's no different than an idol worshiper. But... In addition to that, a person that is angry after he ate a lot, after he's completely full, can actually turn that food into poison and create health problems for himself or herself. And many times you'll see people that have health problems, many times they were very angry people before they got sick. Obviously without Torah, you're not going to make those connections, but... Eliyahu Navi says there's a connection indeed between anger and sickness. Rabbi Chia teaches one who wishes to be spared intestinal illness should accustom himself to dipping his bread in wine and vinegar both during a summer and a winter and do not overindulge. And when he has to defecate, don't delay. Relieve yourself immediately. These sound like, what's the big deal? They have a very big deal. One is to be clean at all times. Because if a person has intestinal problems, that means that they cannot be certain if they're clean. And if you're not clean, you can't put on tefillin. If you're not clean... You can't be intimate. If you're not clean, you can't serve Hashem. You can't serve Hashem in an unclean, physically unclean state. And if a person has intestinal problems, they're simply, it's, it becomes impossible to know if they're clean or not. Many times there are certain people that they have stomach problems and they literally they put on tefillin for one second, say the blessing, you know, for, for the moment that they know for sure they're clean and take it off right away. Why? Because again, it's, it's a problem. So Rabbi Chia says, you want to be spared of this intestinal problem? Dip some bread into wine and vinegar. But don't do it too much to the point where, you know, like some of the people from Europe, like Italy and, and Greece and Israel, and you know, where pretty much you could sit at the coffee shop for eight hours straight eating as if it doesn't add any calories or waste your time. No, you know, obviously eat to the point where, like Eliyahu Navi said, a third. But when it comes to defecating, when it comes to relieving yourself, you have to relieve yourself right away. Do not 
hold yourself because again this in itself can create both physical and spiritual problems Ravchista says there are 60 types of wines the one that's most superior health-wise is aromatic red most inferior is white tilia so a person that drinks wine if you're already going to drink it it's better to drink red it's better for your health a person that sits near a fire during the springtime in the mornings and then oils himself and goes out to sit in the sun could be seized with feebleness could lose certain significant strength within their within their body that could ruin their life people going out getting suntans and then you see them five ten years later as if they aged 50 years why it's not healthy Rabbi says, this is, by the way, Maseret Gitin, page 78. I mean, it's a whole section of it, but this is where I'm looking at now. I'm picking and choosing different things. Rabbi says that if a person just arrived from a long trip where they were walking or they're very, very tired from the trip, they shouldn't be intimate with their wife at that time. If they end up becoming intimate when they're extremely tired like that when they came from a very very long tiresome trip they just climbed the mountain they just exercised they just uh you know they feel like sometimes their testosterone is a uh, high or they feel like they uh, uh need something this is a bad time to do it why they'll have feeble children because all of the all the body is he is is uh, is is working overtime in order to cool itself which damages the seed that seed will cr- will create like we said before feeble children also when a person just relieved themselves the sages taught that a person that just came out of the private should not engage in conjugal relations until they wait the amount of time that it requires to run to walk a half a mil like we said before one of the reasons is because of the physical aspect of it of how it the 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 seed and the body itself has to clean itself up the other part is a spiritual part that the bathroom especially if it's a public bathroom where it's always smelly and disgusting they have what's called uh demons there and when a person first leaves the bathroom many times the demon walks with him for a little while so if a person is intimate right away after they uh relieve themselves they could have children that have epilepsies the sages also mentioned that a person who engages in conjugal relations while standing is liable to be seized with a severe cramp 
one who does it while sitting is liable to be seized with delaria which we'll discuss in a moment delaria is a in so many words the uh, person loses all of their energy they are always tired and one who has relations while she's above and he is below is liable to be seized also with delaria in so many words the traditional way is the way a person can protect both their seed and their health But if somebody has this delaria, if somebody's always tired, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says the antidote for delaria is something called dardara. Certain type of uh, thorn that turns into something that you could uh, consume. Now, what if a person loves his wife she loves him but he's impotent either because something happened in life or he's uh, older what does he do the very same Gemara deals with that too and in fact one of the most extraordinary sages in the history of Am Yisrael testifies that this helped him. If you look in the Gemara, you complete the Shas many times, you'll find that there are certain names of sages that appear regularly. Abaye, Rava, Ravuna, Ravchizda. Which sage is mentioned more times than anybody else? Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan is mentioned in the Gemara more than anyone else, by far. And Rabbi Yochanan was the great sage of the generation. He's many of the uh, intricate details of laws that we have today only exist due to him. And in fact, our entire Torah exists still in its truest form because of his work and what he did to save the Torah. And Rabbi Yochanan was old, lived many years and this his body weakened now although people realize you get older your body weakens and sometimes the man is not able to perform not only not as much but sometimes not at all like he did when he was younger still this creates a lot of marriage problems and therefore our holy Torah has solutions Abaye taught that one who is not proficient in the way of the world, meaning he's impotent, there's a solution for him. He should bring three kvitzas that grew in a field, fertilized with sheep manure, grind them up, boil them in wine, and drink the mixture. Rabbi Yochanan says, it's exactly this that returned me to the potency of my youth. The old Rabbi Yochanan, he's already three digits age. He's not, he's not in his uh, 50s. 
He's already 100 years old. He said, yeah, yeah, exactly that is what brought me back to how I was when I was 18 years old. Question is, what is this? The three kvitzas is a quantity. Each kvitza is considered a uh, cc, so 81 cc. So 81 cc times three. That's the quantity as far as the liquid, or what you would have as in wine. What is this plant, though, that was fertilized in sheep manure, that was grinded up, that you could mix with this wine? What is this? What is this? A kulteme uh, de uh, What is it? Rashi says, kulkumin, kulkum, which in English I believe they call turmeric. Some say it's saffron, but I double checked with my Rav and it says, kulteme is kulkumin. It's turmeric in English. And therefore, if a person takes this amount of kulkum puts it with wine and drinks up the mixture after boiling it together drinks up the mixture that could help impotency so here we see that the sages understood very well that life changes bodies change and no one wants to lose the magic of their relationship just because they've aged. Even if they are a great sage and holy and so on, it affects everybody. If a relationship loses its intimate part, it's no longer a marriage. Meaning, according to Judaism, if a husband is not willing to be together with the wife, that's grounds for divorce. She can go to the Bedin and the Bedin can obligate him to relieve her from the marriage. If a woman is not willing to go to the mikveh in order for them to be intimate, that's ground for divorce. He gives her a get, which is a, simply a relief from the contract without giving her any of the gifts that he promised her because she's not fulfilling her part of the marriage. She's considered a wayward woman. Meaning that intimacy, regardless of what age, regardless of whether you had kids or not, regardless of whether you're, uh, you know, anything. Intimacy is a critical part of marriage. Now, obviously, there are certain times where there's, you know, health problems and a person is simply not capable of being intimate at a specific time. Either they just gave birth or they're recovering from a surgery or things like that. That's fine. Obviously, any healthy marriage understands that. But we're talking about if somebody simply doesn't want to be intimate. If a couple no longer wants to be intimate with each other, there's no reason for them to stay together. Yeah, but what if we, uh, we, we still love each other? No. You love the friendship. You love the convenience. You love the fact that you won't have to deal with lawyers. You don't love each other. Why? Because real love between a man and a woman creates intimacy. If there's no intimacy, that means there's no love. That's simply a reality. Yeah, what about if we got old? Intimacy doesn't change just because you got old. Doesn't change. In fact, the more 
holy a person is, the more glued they are to the Torah, the more they love their wife, the more they love their husband, the more they want to express that as well. Now again, we're not saying this a person has to be together every single five minutes. No, we're saying that there is a time that intimacy is a critical part of marriage. And if intimacy ceases to exist, so does the marriage. And what ends up happening is that initially the couple turns into, instead of a married couple, they turn into roommates. Where, you know, they're friends with each other. They already know each other for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. They're friendly. They're not, you know, angry at each other. But anytime he looks at her in the way that he used to, all of a sudden she has a headache. It's almost like his eyes create some type of radioactive screen that creates a headache in her in her head. Every time <clears throat> she says, honey, all of a sudden he has to like, you know, he has to run. He has an appointment. He has a stomach ache. He has to go to the bathroom. He has to play with the kids. He, has, he hears the neighbor calling. He, uh, he has to take out the garbage. He simply can't do it. He doesn't want to do it. This is a disaster. This is a couple that, again, they can be cordial to each other. They can say hello. They can say good morning. They can say good night. But if there's no intimacy, that means that they are roommates. And if they are not willing to change that from roommates back to being a married couple, it's better that they get divorced. Now, one of the things that I thought of is that the evil inclination, one of the things that it does really a great job at is it gives people the illusion that something better will come along. Something better is available to me. And something better is meant for me. And therefore, I don't need to invest any more into this. And what ends up happening is that they abandon their responsibility they abandon their commitment they abandon their love their love dies and divorce happens or even sometimes without divorce happening and they start going into other relationships which again start in a similar fashion initially starts with talking and little by little it gets to other things if they are secular it gets to other things fairly quickly if they're a religious jew then obviously they wait to get married but one of the things that you'd notice is that the amount of effort that they exert in the beginning of any relationship, whether it's their first marriage or it's their second marriage or third or 15th marriage, the amount of energy and effort and emotions they put into that relationship at first is everything. Oh, I love you, Pookies. I love you, Tookies. And they text each other and they call each other and they meet each other and he remembers our birthday and he buys her a flower and he just thought about her. So he is a teddy bear and he puts all of this energy. And she, of course, she wants to look pretty for him and she wants to say hello to him and she wants to cook for him and clean for him and she wants to do it. And they literally exert all energy just to please each other. Now, the truth is, this is a false relationship why you're not like that and you're not like that in a few months at best case a year you're not going to be like that anymore and you're not going to be like that you are going to regret that you even called her a few times a day you're going to pretend like you didn't see the text a few times 
you're going to look at other girls more often you're going to sometimes be tired when you're not supposed to be you're going to be interested in going out with your friends and you all of a sudden you're wearing sweatpants you're half asleep you have a headache half to half your life all of a sudden things have changed with of course momentary pleasures and so on but nonetheless everything has changed what happened to that excitement to 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 the pookie and the mookie and the, and the calls and the 50 texts and the passion and the i love you and the holding hands and you can't be without each other and you complete each other's sentences what, what happened to all that it's all fake it's all fake but the evil inclination will tell you it's real and therefore they tells you abandon this wife of 20 years and go with this new one because she really loves you she really understands you go with this new one because he really cares about you he really understands you and what do the people do they follow this evil inclination and they simply start a new relationship but not with the same vigor as how they ended the last one but rather how they started the last one you see if you simply invested that same amount of energy on maintaining your relationship you would have never had to look elsewhere you would have never had to question anything because if you would have invested all that extra effort you're investing into this forming this new fake relationship before it turns into being the same exact thing if you just simply invest all that extra energy to look good to act good to be good to be generous to be this to be all that extra fake stuff that people do in the beginning if you simply invested all of that in your existing relationship guess what you wouldn't have ended it you would have been happy as happy as happy can be but that's what happens the evil inclination gets people not just comfortable because comfortable is a good thing but rather the evil inclination gets people curious curious at what else can i do what else can i go what else is available to me and somehow every troll looking man thinks that he can get the most beautiful woman available and every woman that can barely get married the first time thinks that she can marry every single wealthy guy available everyone thinks that everything is available to them and guess what sometimes a lot of things are available and they exert all of their energy to make what's available look good but it's all an illusion as you see in hollywood and everywhere else that's out there the marriages of our grandparents weren't so unique they were the same thing we did for thousands of years what's unique is today and how people manage their relationships today where they simply forget how they were and how they behaved and how much they invested and they abandon ship because they start thinking that something better will come along they deserve better everyone thinks they deserve better entitled generation so one of the things that most often is a cause for criticism or cause for a loss of passion is intimacy or lack thereof 
And many times it's not because of health reasons, but because the physical attraction or the physical desire simply is gone. Because that physical desire got bored. And the person wants to do something more taboo. So unless the their partner, their wife, or her husband is planning on becoming some type of circus, there's never going to be enough. Unless the person sanctifies themselves. And that's in essence the whole goal here. Is a person to understand that yes, if you enjoy each other for a certain amount of time, you may think that's the right path, but you eventually that's going to run out. And the evil inclination is going to convince you both that there's something better that's going to come along. And if you're too scared, you're simply going to stay roommates. For 20, 30 years, you'll stay roommates. But what that will lead to is your mind will be elsewhere, your heart will be elsewhere, and sometimes even your body will be elsewhere with all kinds of adultery. The solution to that is to elevate your intimacy to be more than just physical. One of the things that a person can do is to elevate themselves in a spiritual sense like we discussed. But if the physical aspect of it is holding you back where a person is impotent, then of course, what can he do? Like we said before, you have this kokum that can help you. There's also a couple of other things we'll finish off with. In a sefer called Bemutarlo, which is which means but with what's allowed to him, was written by a, uh, a rav named uh, Rabbi Nachomi Shimonov. On page 173 and on, he talks about all types of different health tips that a person can learn in order to improve their sensuality, improve their body, their physical body. Just like he mentions the Gemara uh, that says that small fish, eating small fish is uh, does wonders for the body. I'm assuming sardines and, and fish like that. Personally, I could only give you the advice to do it because that's what the sages did. But if you ask me to eat sardines, most likely you'll be kicked out of my house. I don't eat sardines. Other people I know do eat sardines and they enjoy it. It's just not my taste. But if you like it, you should eat it. Why? It's healthy for you. Physically healthy for you, especially if you have problems with your blood and things of that nature. Further, in page 174, he says, what's called today reflexology is actually mentioned by the sages, by the Torah, by the book of Genesis, by our Lacha. What is it? He says, reflexology in the feet can help strengthen a man's health when it comes to the Koach Gavra. Koach Gavra is the male, male potency. His ability to be intimate. His strength, his physical strength. Just like the Gemara teaches us that one of the things that a good wife, an Eshet Chayil, a woman of valor, does for her husband is she washes his feet while massaging certain points of the feet in warm water or hot water it should be even because this improves the blood flow in the body of our husband 
which helps is koach agavra. Helps is male potency. Helps a seed. So this is, in essence, one of the things that a good Jewish wife does. And if she does, she may very well have more kids, more beautiful kids, more smart kids, or simply better marriage, or both. So in the scientific world, they call it reflexology, but our Torah already mentions it thousands of years ago. And it's something that every person can do. You get hot water, put it in a bowl, wife massages the husband's uh, feet. And again, this is not like massaging, oh, what is it? What, I'm his slave? I'm his maidservant? What is going on? What am I doing? No, no, you're not understanding. You are doing a mitzvah here. You are doing a mitzvah that's greater than you can possibly imagine. Why? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Everyone's heard of him. Perhaps the most famous sage of all. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, Gadola me'ase Greater is the one that enables another to do a mitzvah than the one who did the mitzvah. Meaning, if you, let's say for example, you observed Shabbat, or you ate kosher, or you put on tefillin, you get a mitzvah. Good for you. But if you help another person do it, you encourage them to do it, you influence them to do it, you help them do it, the benefit, the spiritual benefit you will get for helping this person is much more than what you will get for what you kept yourself. So while a woman that is foolish and liberal mentality will think, oh, what am I, a slave? I'm going to massage his feet. Let him massage my feet. He could, but that's not the point here. The point here is that you could be doing a mitzvah by actually helping your husband reproduce, helping your husband become healthier, helping your husband stay your husband for longer. And as a result of all of this, whatever good he ends up doing by sanctifying his head and his mind while he's intimate, by by studying more Torah, by being more righteous, by doing everything better, guess what? All of what he does, he gets a certain amount of credits for, he gets a certain amount of mitzvah for, you get more. Why? You enable them to do it. So while a fool will think, oh, I'm a servant, I'm a, a wise woman of valor will say, that was easy. When can I start? Honey, where's your feet? Come over here. Why? That's a smart woman that wants to do mitzvot. Because the woman can become an enabler of mitzvot in her own household. Last but not least, a man that is weak and therefore he releases his seed too quickly. The same book says there's a solution for it that could create wonders. What's the solution? The scientific perverted world tells a person that he should waste seed first and therefore it'll take longer to go a second time it'll also take longer for him to go to Gainom and then Kafakela and he'll never go to heaven so if he doesn't want to go to Gainom he doesn't want to go to Kafakela he wants to go to heaven but at the same token he's having an issue where he's releasing his seed too quickly there's a solution for it what's the solution he should wash his lower half of his body with cold water 
and then sit in co- in cold water for as long as he can you know for a period of time now, obviously i'm not talking about days or hours he could sit for a while 20 minutes a half hour an hour however long a person has sit in cold water for six days in a row and bezrat hashem he will see major improvement simple enough i think so now if a person cares about himself usually he will do this but sometimes when he thinks about the next upcoming relationship rather than the existing relationship that in itself can convince him not to do these things that can convince her not to do these things so that's why i say there's a spiritual and a physical part to holy intimacy and a wise person will take advantage of both and could literally transform their lives their marriage their parenting and most importantly their servitude of hashem in such a fashion that they'll realize wow what an extraordinary torah we have what a great benefit it is to us what a light to the world it is and bezot hashem each and every single one of us will implement whatever parts of the tools applied to us whatever we can and whatever we want to and if we simply are not capable or are failing at it we're never gonna give up we'll try again and again and again until we succeed because even trying to be holy is in itself an act of holiness so Bezat Hashem each one of us will succeed now I'm gonna go and see if you guys have any some any relevant questions and we'll go from there let's see first starting here I see Facebook what do you got Facebook here hold on Guess it somewhat relates person asks I understand that everyone is a creation of Hashem but do non-jews have a spark of Hashem too as it's written that uh men and women the three partners and created a human parents and Hashem yes of course all people have a uh, spark of Hashem in them Uh, Netanel is saying that some people from the islands know turmeric as saffron so it seems like they're one and the same thing I looked into it and they're not turmeric is uh is uh orange and saffron is red uh so honestly I, I would say that somebody should try you know whatever each one of them they try that applies to them uh see how it works after they do it for let's say I don't know uh, a few weeks a month no, no more than that usually things that are effective don't take that long to work uh so try it if you don't see the results but of course if a person is follows the instructions and, and, and does what they say puts the quantity that i mentioned the 81 cc times three which is uh 243 cc's with the uh wine boiled and so on uh and if they don't see results which surprised me then obviously try the other one but uh it's it's certainly things that have actually been uh, tried and tested and and, and, uh, and work 
but thank you for letting me know about the uh, uh, what's uh, going on at the uh, as far as in the islands. Okay, let's see. Uh, okay, somebody said that they ground some and they make capsules out of it. Okay, good. I, I can tell you that from, uh, I guess, spending some time in my life at some point looking into some of these things. Uh, surely it's a uh, uh, easier to take uh, to take things when they're capsules, but sometimes uh, you lose some of the effect. So. As long as it doesn't, uh, you know, lose the effect, certainly it, it could be good. Uh, is it good for inflammation? Yes, certainly. I mean, uh, the corkum turmeric is known to be good for a lot of things. It's good for digestion. It's good for uh, uh, inflammation. It's good for a lot of different things. If somebody can consume it and, and could really be uh, conscious of their uh, uh, of their diet, and, 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 you know, this is certainly something that could help. Okay, let's see. Come on. If you guys have anything, or we'll call tonight. Let's see. Can you explain, Bereshit, why the angels telling Haggad they multiply her seed? Uh, well, see, this is simply a uh, a prophecy that from Ishmael will come all of the Arabs. You know, all of the Arabs came from Ishmael. The, uh, the Jews came from Yitzhak. And the Arabs came from Ishmael. And uh, one of the things that uh, uh, Hashem promised her and promised Avram is that they'll be blessed. They'll have a lot of money. They'll have a lot of power. They'll have many kings, which they do, which they did. Do I speak any Hebrew or Yiddish? Yes, I was born in Israel in the Bel Ivrit, Tov Meod, Baruch Hashem. I speak Hebrew. Uh, how do pro, how do perfumes for intimacy compare with witchcraft? Perfumes for intimacy. This is not something that uh, I would recommend uh, for several reasons. Number one, if you're getting perfumes from, let's say, stores and things of that nature. Uh, you should know where perfumes come from. Perfumes come from uh, the sweat of glands of different animals. Uh, so this is perfume, uh, cologne. These are things that uh, uh, create certain animalistic uh, instincts in a person, but it's certainly not something that's uh, uh, good for your marriage. In fact, the healthiest uh, um, thing for a marriage uh, is without any of these, uh, without the male, especially the man, without the man having any type of perfume or cologne or whatever it is, because the actual, his natural smells, you know, so long as he doesn't smell bad, his natural smell is actually the most attractive to his wife. Um, so that's uh, certainly, I mean, again, unless if he smells bad, obviously he has to take a shower and, and you know, be hygienic. But uh, as far as colognes and things of that nature, you shouldn't, do, shouldn't use them. Uh, witchcraft is forbidden. So if a person is doing witchcraft, then uh, they're obviously an evil person. Uh, 
How did Yitzchak Avinu create a sav with a pure seed? Very good question. So Yitzchak was pure, his father was pure, but his wife was a big tzaddikah, but she didn't come from the purest of houses. Her father was a murderer. Her, her brother, Lavan, was not only a brother, was not only a murderer, but was also one of the biggest uh, um, idol worshippers and, uh, uh, and uh, witchcraft uh, uh, personalities in the history of mankind. And in fact, there's some sages that say that uh, uh, Lavan becomes uh, Bilam. So uh, her, where she came from uh, is not exactly ideal, and uh, this can certainly affect the, uh, the children. So this is uh, part of the reason of why Esav was a twin brother to Yaakov, but he was, uh, you know, a uh, defect, if you will. At the same token, you should know that the Zohar Kadosh says that Esav had even greater potential than Yaakov had he done tshuva, where Esav, technically, while they were teenagers, while Esav and Yaakov were both teenagers, you couldn't tell the difference between them. They looked exactly alike. As far as you know, their, their appearance without the red hair obviously distinguishing them, uh, but they both you know looked from acted from everything was good, uh, and later on you know Esav started uh, doing uh, things that were off. He tattooed his body, he put a snake on his thigh, uh, started murdering, raping, and doing all types of things that followed evil. But Esav was originally. Uh, created with the potential to be the uh, one of the forefathers, where it was supposed to be Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Esav. It was supposed to be four forefathers. Uh, but Esav lost his chance because he went in a bad way. Uh, had Esav uh, done tshuva or, or not gone the bad way, he would have been father to uh, six of the tribes out of the 12. So Esav had the potential to do a lot of good things, and uh, the Zohar Kadosh says that there are certain souls that are uh, prisoners of the Satan. They're very powerful souls that have the potential to bring either all the good in the world in their generation or in four generations or all the bad in the world. And some of the examples of captured souls that, uh, that escaped uh, are uh, uh, King David was one of the captured souls uh, where he could have literally been the worst person on planet Earth or the best. He obviously was the, uh, the best. Uh, Ruth, uh, Yitro, uh, Rabbi Akiva, these are some of the great names of uh, extraordinary people that escaped this spiritual prison uh, of the Satan. But had they not done the, the tshuva, they would have been really, really terrible people. Uh, in fact, uh, Rabbi Chaim Vital, Rabbi Chaim Vital says about himself that his Rebbe, the Arizal, says to him that um, uh, he was uh, he had the potential to be the biggest villain against the Jewish people in the history of mankind. Like Gog, even though he was Jewish, had he not done tshuva, I believe at the age of twenty, well, you know, he uh, he was uh, uh, busy doing business and he actually was uh, dealing with a lot of uh, uh, different researchers and, and, and uh, chemists, and he was an alchemist. Uh, and he became very, very wealthy, uh, literally creating gold. And uh, when he was, I believe, 20 or 23 years old, he had a moment of truth 
where he knew that uh, this was already told to him when he was younger that this is going to happen at some point. Uh, and uh, had he chosen to go after money, he would have become the biggest villain, the worst person in history of, of, of Am Yisrael. Uh, but because he chose uh, the right way, he became one of the greatest. Rabbi Chaim Vital was his name. He lived about 500 years ago, 400 years ago, something like that. So there are many, many extraordinary souls that, uh, in essence, they have an ability to do one or the other. It's not that Esav was uh, destined to do bad and only bad. Uh, he could have done good. He chose otherwise. Hashem doesn't uh, put a person into the world with only one option. Everybody has both options. Some have certain inclinations more than others. But uh, again, just like he gives them the strong inclination to do something bad, he gives them the strength to deal with that something bad more than the average person does. So everything is, is, uh, is equally uh, uh, weighed. Good question, by the way. Thank you. Uh, as far as tattoos, since I already mentioned it, that Esav was uh, one of the first that I remember mentioned that having a tattoo, uh, tattoos are forbidden. In Judaism, uh, according to the Torah, they're forbidden. You're damaging your body. Now, if a person already has a tattoo, uh, and uh, this is a tattoo that uh, the world doesn't see, meaning it's a tattoo that's under their body, as long as it's not a tattoo of some idol, uh, then uh, they don't have an obligation to remove it. The sin of tattoos is the sin of getting the tattoo, not having the tattoo. But if it's a tattoo that everyone sees, uh, then again, it depends what it is. It depends what it is as far as if it's a uh, something that's provocative, uh, like uh, you know a nude woman or something like that, or uh, some other provocative things, or it's idolatry, then uh, certainly the person should cover it. Uh, and if they can remove it, by all means. But don't you know you don't need to put your life in danger for the sake of removing a tattoo. But it's certainly not allowed. Now. Um, I know that there is uh, certain, uh, you know, religious men and women that, uh, you know, have done tshuva, and, uh, but they have this tattoo as a constant memory of, uh, of where they came from, uh, that they weren't always this way, and uh, this sometimes uh, hurts them, this sometimes is, uh, affects their uh, marriage, this sometimes affects their uh, perspective of themselves. So, again, for a person like that, if it affects them in such a negative way, it may be smart for them to remove it uh but to be honest with you it's a uh the key is to work on yourself spiritually where the more torah you learn uh the more your life will become better physically is not necessarily going to do as much good for you as the uh, spiritual aspect of it and uh last but not least if you have not gotten married i'm giving you guys just a simple advice because because this will if you haven't gotten married uh and uh, you're dating somebody uh, and uh, you know you realize that at some point if you do get married hopefully after marriage you will uh, the intimacy will happen so word of advice I can give anyone that is uh, newly religious or about tshuva or has a past uh, you know where they went off to a certain way don't marry somebody that's critical uh, 
Uh, don't marry somebody that's critical that, uh, you know, that uh, they think that uh, because they've always been religious or everyone else that's newly religious is lesser than them. Because uh, many times those people will hold it against you. Uh, they'll hold it against you where, uh, you know, like let's say for example, you have, uh, you know, you're a Baal Tshuva and uh, usually this is more, uh, you know, with women. If the woman is a Baal Tshuva and the man is uh, always from if the person is a very critical person, uh, he, you know, he could torture her as a husband. Where initially, you know, they'll get married, he, uh, you know, they'll, they'll do whatever they do, and everything will be fine at first. But sometimes, if that person is not a real Torah scholar that has good midot, and he's just a critical person, uh, then this could create a lot of anguish for the woman, and because he could mention her past. So be careful with critical people, that's one. The second thing is, is... Um, don't be judgmental of people's past, uh, just like you don't want Hashem to be judgmental of yours, where sometimes you have people that have made mistakes in their life, and uh, even if they were religious their whole life, and uh, they, but they made a mistake, they, uh, you know, they had intimacy with somebody before marriage, and then the relationship didn't work out, and they, you know, and then they wanted to go back into, obviously they wanted to get married, but the person that they meet has never failed, has never failed. Be careful with what you tell people. Uh, now, if you're a woman, you're not allowed to lie about whether you're a virgin or not. You have to tell a man if you're a virgin or not. It's part of your ketubah. Uh, if you tell a man that you're a virgin and really you're not, your marriage is null and void. Uh, you're lying on your ketubah. Uh, so this is an important thing. Same concept uh, when it comes to uh, conversion, if a woman converted, she must tell the person that she converted. Why? Because if he's a Kohen, you can't marry him. Uh, you know, so it's it's important for people not to lie and not to be embarrassed of where they came from. But at the same token, you don't need to necessarily volunteer all information. Uh, you don't need to volunteer all information. You have to be careful. And I, I would always recommend speaking to your rabbi to know what you have to say, what you don't have to say. But... Most importantly, if you're planning on, uh, you know, on keeping a marriage and you find out that your uh, husband or wife did something when it comes to, you know, sexuality, that is not exactly uh, your cup of tea. You're not so happy that he was with that girl. You're not so happy that she was with that guy. If you talk about it, you'll ruin the marriage. So the best suggestion I can give you don't talk about your past. Once you've decided to get married, that's it. All past relationships, it's as if they don't exist. It's as if you were born and you got married to each other and that's it. Nothing else existed before you. Even if you actually literally had a marriage. Doesn't make a difference. Don't speak about your other relationships. Because any man that cares about you will be jealous of any other man, even if you hate the other man. Any woman that loves you will be jealous of another woman, even if you can't stand the other woman, even if the other woman died. So if you want to ruin your marriage, talk about other relationships. But if you want to have a healthy marriage, don't talk about other relationships. It's not healthy, especially when it comes to intimacy. Especially when it comes to intimacy. Why especially when it comes to intimacy? Because if you are spiritually healthy and physically healthy, then you're going to be a certain way. Right? You're going to act a certain way, feel a certain way, everything's going to be a certain way. Now, if your partner, your wife or husband, is not in the same, they have a weakness, they have a health issue, they're whatever it is, they're not in the same spiritual state, state as you, 
they're going to have to pinpoint the Yetzirah, the evil inclination is going to try to pinpoint why are they not where they need to be and usually they're going to blame it on oh it's because he's thinking about his ex-girlfriend she's thinking about her ex-boyfriend and usually that's what happens they think at the worst possible moments and usually if a fight erupts out of that it destroys the relationship forever why because the man will never be able to look at his wife the same way the woman can never look at her husband the same way and it ruins the marriage so my word of advice to you and Baruch Hashem, I've been married for 20 years but after you know 120 million years we'll be together uh and more uh it's never ever to talk about your past life at all it's simply nothing good will ever come out of it you're not going to learn from those relationships together you're not going to grow from those relationships together uh you know it's, it's simply unhealthy for anyone both you and your spouse uh to uh to discuss anything of the past if you want to have a good relationship focus on the present focus on the present make the best that you can out of the present everything else is simply uh, uh create confusion all right we're gonna have maybe one more question and call tonight How do I feel about men not getting married because they're of the biased and unfair marriage laws? Uh, well, those men need to learn some Torah, and then they'll realize that there is no such thing as unfair marriage laws. There is no such thing as unfair in the Torah. Now, if they're talking about secular law, if you don't like the laws of the place that you live in, move to a different place, move to a different country. You don't like the laws of America, move to Afghanistan. You don't like the laws of Afghanistan, move to Sudan. You don't like the laws of Sudan, move back to America, move to Canada, move to England, move to France, move to Israel. The point is that if you're talking about civil laws, civil laws you can fix, you can change, you can alter, you can do whatever you want. When we talk about biblical laws, you talk about the laws of a Torah, there is no such thing as unfair. The only thing that exists is ignorant, meaning that people are ignorant of the law and therefore they think that the law is unfavorable to them the law is against them so this is simply if they learn more torah they'll sanctify themselves and they'll realize that the uh the law is actually to their favor uh one of the uh uh great things that you learn from the torah is that everything has an explanation everything has an answer everything has a uh, 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 clarification uh, but if a person doesn't learn Torah then uh, unfortunately they uh, they're going to live a confused life I'll give you a Gemara uh, uh, here Gemara Masechet Makot page 10b talks about it's a whole section here talking about the Ira uh, Miklat the people that uh, accidentally killed somebody else at the time of the Sanhedrin, at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, Yeshua Benun, they accidentally killed somebody. And the Torah says if he accidentally killed somebody, there are special cities uh, that uh, that he's uh, allowed to go to. 
and uh, there were a, a total of six cities, three outside of uh, Israel, three in Israel, and then 42 others from the Levim. And uh, he's allowed to go to these cities too, so he gets protection from that other person's family from killing him. Because they, uh, they're upset that he killed, although by accident, he killed their father, he killed their brother, he killed their husband, and uh, he's not getting a death penalty. So it's not fair that he's not getting a death penalty. He should die. Yeah, but he didn't accidentally. Still, he killed, he should be killed. You know, they're like uh, Muslims. They believe in eye for an eye is, uh, is uh, kill, you know, take somebody else's eye because he hurt your eye, which is obviously against the Torah. Eye for an eye is only a monetary uh, 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 retribution. So anyway, the question is, why did Hashem allow this guy to be killed in the first place? And even more so, why did Hashem allow this person to accidentally kill his friend? I mean, if he's a murderer and he wanted to kill his friend... You know, then obviously, okay, that's. It's, but he did it accidentally, so now, but he, now he has to flee the city, and he has to stay outside of the city until the Kohen Gadol dies, and it could be many, many years. It's a nightmare. Well, he just ruined two lives. It's not fair. Sigma says, in name of uh, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, and he says, in regards to the inadvertent uh, killer states you know this is uh, talking about what i just said the uh, those specific places where the accidental killers would go to the uh the verse says in uh, the book of uh, samuel 1 chapter 24 verse 14 but if he did not lie in wait but god caused it to come to his hint so he says we learn a lot from this uh teachings what is it we learn a lot from these teachings? It says the, uh, the, the ancient one, meaning Hashem, teaches us that from the wicked comes forth wickedness. And therefore, we have to understand this whole wayward city, this whole uh, uh, um, uh, special cities that are designed to, uh, that's designed to protect the people and everything that I mentioned, there's no accident. There's no accident. Then how does it happen? He says, imagine there's two people, each of whom have killed a person. One guy killed a person intentionally, he's a murderer, and the other one, not intentionally. But they both have to go to this Iramiklat. Why? The guy that did it unintentionally, we know, because that's what the Torah says. But the guy that did it intentionally, he also goes to the Iramiklat. Why? Because there's no witnesses. And if there's no witnesses, you can't kill him. So they both go to the Iramiklat. They can't be killed. There's no death penalty for either one of them. So how does Hashem punish them? The Holy One, blessed is He, summons them to the same and He puts these two types of souls. Either they reincarnate again and they have to come back and they, uh, they have to go through this or during the same life. He puts them in the same place together where the one who killed intentionally sits at the bottom of the ladder and the one who killed accidentally, he's at the top of the ladder. And the one who killed accidentally, he falls on top of the murderer and kills him. And as a result, 
the one who killed intentionally is killed as he deserves while the one who killed somebody accidentally is exiled is kicked out as he deserves meaning that we learn that everything that's in the Torah is as if the more you learn it and there's obviously much more the more you learn it the more you understand that there is no such thing as accident there is no such thing as unfair there's only ignorance if a person is ignorant of the Torah then of course he's going to be unhappy with the Torah of course he's going to be unhappy with the Torah same thing that if you're if you're ignorant of anything important in life the more ignorant a person is the more unhappy he is education is is one of the things that brings a person a uh the the, the pleasure and, and the ability to have pleasure but if a person is ignorant and they learn from hearsay they learn from you know uh, uh blogs they learn from uh you know basic conversations over a few drinks that's how they learn their torah then of course they're going to be unhappy with everything and eventually they're going to become uh you know enemies of god and enemies of a torah so if these young men that learn torah they will not only uh get married but they'll be very happy that they did in following the torah but if they you know they are insisting on uh, not getting married then you should tell them stop blaming the torah for your foolishness the truth is you're not getting married not because the torah says it's unfair you're not getting married because you are trying to give yourself the so-called freedom to be promiscuous so-called freedom to make sins so-called freedom to do whatever you want but you can be sure that you will end up in Genom as your final destination you will lose both this world and the next world because there is no such thing as happiness alone this is one of the first things we learn in Genesis in the beginning of the Torah that uh, uh, um, that a person is not meant to be alone it's not good for him to be alone so if you are good your spouse will be good if you're bad you'll get a spouse that's bad where is that that's in the Gemara Masechet Sota page 2b and it says that a person gets a woman based on his actions or 2a I'm sorry based on his actions Masechet Sota uh so if you're good you're going to get a righteous woman if you're bad you get a wicked woman and guess what if you have a righteous woman you don't have to worry about the unfair marriage laws because you're married and you don't worry about the marriage laws you only worry about the marriage laws if you're getting a divorce and uh, that's usually because you're bad not good a good righteous husband doesn't get divorced he uh he, he gets happy let's see If someone did a bad deed before marriage and they are remorseful will Hashem forgive them depends what they did if they really did complete Shuvah then yes Hashem will forgive them was the Vilna Gaon uh, Hasidim no Vilna Gaon was against Hasidut this is not to say that Hasidut is bad it's just that he was against it
Okay, you guys have asked everything. Uh, can I see? Do the stages. If someone is born from a dirty, coarse seed, uh, can they still repair the damage done by doing tshuva? Absolutely. This is the vast majority of the world comes from a, uh, you know, an imperfect, let's just say, or damage or a putrid seed. Uh, but yet, people elevate themselves to be uh, very holy. In fact, uh, some of the mo most extraordinary people came from uh, horrible places. Uh, so yeah, of course, of course, a person could elevate themselves. It's always in your hand. Your free choice is always available. Uh, how long should a person wait after he reads to be intimate with his wife? Uh, it depends what he's reading. If he's reading Torah, he, he could. It, there's no separation. In fact, he should read some prayers or some Torah before intimacy, and then go into and do it. It's fine. It's a perfectly uh, good strategy. Um, is intimacy permitted more than once in a night, or is there a minimum amount of time and occasion to be separate? No, you are, man is allowed to do what he wishes with his wife. Again, it all depends on her desire, his desire, and also their purpose. Uh, but as far as halachically is concerned, they're allowed to be together more than once. Sure. Um, there's no problem with being together more than that. Uh, as far as the... Um, The eating, as I said, it's, uh, you know, it, it should be a while. It should be a while. It's a, you go back to the early part of the lecture, I said that usually the, the example that the Gemara says is that they ate before sundown and uh, intimacy is uh, in the middle of the night. So that's, you know, several hours later, four, five, six hours later, it could be. Uh, it certainly shouldn't be right away after, put it that way. It certainly shouldn't be. The more separation there is between food, especially heavy food. I'm not talking about if you ate... Uh, a piece of chocolate. If you ate like heavy food, you ate a piece of meat, you ate, uh, you know, some heavy food, then you should wait several hours uh, uh, before uh, being intimate. Uh, lastly, can we watch this lecture again? Yes, if you go to our uh, YouTube page and you type Rabbi Yaron Reuven, or you go to uh, our website, bezratashem.org, or to make it simple for you, bhtorah.org, You'll see this lecture on uh, on there tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, Bezot Hashem. Uh, so probably within about uh, 12 hours, 14 hours from now, you'll see this lecture out there as part of the uh, Jewish Intimacy Series. I believe this is going to be installment number 19. There's also a uh, playlist uh, on the channel uh, where you can see the first 18 lectures. I uh, highly recommend people uh, get those 18 lectures and, and, and watch them, study them, uh, write down some notes because this is the type of stuff that uh, you're not, first of all, you're not going to commit to memory. It's not easy to commit to memory. And number two, it's, it's very useful information you're not going to hear elsewhere. You're simply not going to hear it. Uh, it's Baruch Hashem, I've been learning for years and I've never heard any of this stuff from anybody other than my own Rav and from the books that we've read. Uh, so this is the type of stuff that could certainly help a lot of lives. And uh, I can tell you that it already has helped many, many people that have been watching this series from the beginning have told me that literally it's transformed their marriages. Some marriages were on the verge of pretty much divorce. They're now happy. 
other marriages uh, were, you know, like practically like a dead zone. Nothing was happening. Now, Baruch Hashem, they're happy. And it, it certainly helped a lot of people. But the only people that it doesn't help are people that don't watch or the people that watch and don't follow. Uh, everyone else, it certainly helps. Married for a long time, married for a short time, uh, young people, older people. It's this is a type of information that could help anybody with, uh, with a will to learn and to apply. And Bezat Hashem, each one of us will learn this holy Torah, will apply it to our lives. And uh, Bezat Hashem, be holy. Thank you again for learning with me. We'll uh, see each other again tomorrow night, Bezat Hashem, for the questions and answers uh, that are general. And uh, don't forget, share, subscribe, donate, all that good stuff. But most importantly, be holy.